You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, has an employer ever tried to lure you away with a new car? With a new car? No. Uh, I, I wish. Uh, I find it. Uh, I think it's kind of old-fashioned now. I don't know whether you'd see that too often these days. I'm not 100% sure. I guess I'm in a in a, a line of work that probably is never going to see me uh, be offered a car. Let's just say that. Let's make this uh, Bill Simmons week. And let's say Bill comes uh, to you from the ringer and says, Kane, got a new car for you. Uh, come across to, to the network. You, you in? I'd probably, you know, I'd be up for a meat platter if anyone wants to throw a meat tray at me to, to, to change jobs. Yeah, yeah, I'd definitely be in. I actually, before I moved to the US at the start of 2018, or the start of the 2018 NBA season, I sold my car because I was moving to Milwaukee, and I was like, well, I'm not really going to need a car. And, uh, you know, the virus brought me back home, but I've spent most of my time in the US since then, so I don't even have a car. So, I mean, I would be easily persuaded for sure. I'm probably a a prime target for this type of uh, recruiting strategy. Of course, if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the report from uh, Kane's mate, Tom Brown, that (laughs) Carlton is upping their offer. We talked about Adam Side yesterday. I said, I don't know what the hell is going on because there's this constant backs and forwards, and now Carlton's in the mix, and they're offering to buy him a car. It feels... So strange, and I guess yeah, oh, a car's going to be the, the decider. But then I guess when these these players, like he's probably yeah, eight hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand a year, they'd be looking at. What kind of car are they throwing in there that's making all all the difference? And why would buying a car um, be? Because it has to be included in your total player payments. Why is that different? Like, okay, we'll give you eight hundred thousand and a hundred thousand dollar car versus nine hundred thousand dollars. Why is this the the big thing? That it's such a weird report. I don't get it. No, Tom Brown continues to be the funniest reporter in the game. And I'm not even, uh, people give him a lot of shit. And I'm literally not even saying that what he reports is wrong or anything like that. Like, I'm not having a crack at him. I just, there's no reporter in AFL that makes me laugh more than Tom Brown. He just comes up with the most ridiculous stories. I, I don't know where he pulls it from. The only thing I can think about here, because as you said, it really makes no sense. I think that he might have been over, uh, he might have been listening to a conversation or maybe he got, he got a text where autocorrect took over potentially, and I think he might have overheard the word Saab or there was a text where the someone texted him Saab and he's all of, all, all of a sudden figured that uh, Carlton are buying Adam Saad a Saab when really they were just talking about Saad. That's literally the only thing I can come up with. It's 2020. Why would Carlton buy? I, I, I don't know. Why would they be buying him a car? It doesn't even make any sense. Could, does he not know how to negotiate with uh, with car dealerships? <laughs> I'm, I'm not I, sure what this is. Yeah, maybe is. he's shy. Maybe he's shy. And I didn't even know Saabs was still a car. I haven't seen a Saab on the road for that long. And I don't think that would be the, the, the choice for a 26-year-old <laughs> AFL footy player. Oh, mate, you're gonna if you buy me a Saab because it's close yeah. to my name, I'll be uh, I'll be over there. But that's uh, that's some of the free agent uh, ups and downs of the Adam Saad saga. Some other news to touch on here: Jack Gunston won Hawthorne's best and fairest. I don't think there's too much of a surprise there. He was one of those players. I think people were surprised didn't make the All Australian squad. Uh, so he uh, he wins the best and fairest there. Talk about maybe them trading him out at the end of the season. Another player that also might be traded 
Kane. Uh, Tim Taranto looks like Victorian clubs are circling. He is contracted until the end of 2022. And St. Kilda in uh, looking to really get their hands on uh, on Tim Taranto. I really like Taranto as a player. Uh, I think that if that is the case and he wants to move, uh, more, way more teams should be in on, on that than St. Kilda. It could be a, a real bidding war. And we know that GWS has that cap space squeeze and they might be able to extract some pretty good assets and salary relief in a deal there if that's the way they want to go. Yeah, it feels like all the clubs, particularly the Victorian clubs, are, are smelling a bit of blood in the water when it comes to GWS because uh, we know, obviously, Zach Williams is on the move. He's going to go to Carlton, though we certainly expect that's going to be the case. Jeremy Cameron, we still haven't heard anything from. They managed to keep uh, Perryman, and I think there was one other that they managed to sign as well, the Giants. But uh, the point being that now when you start to hear a guy like Taranto who is under contract, it's like, well, hang on a second. Okay, so now teams are, they're not just looking at the guys that are out of contract. Josh Kelly, another one that teams are, have got their eye on moving forward. They're like, no, we, we can actually poach guys. And this was the problem. And this was the concern when I was talking about the Giants a couple of weeks before finals. I was like, listen, if this team doesn't make the eight, I, I think that they are a prime candidate to bounce back quickly next year, but only if there isn't a, a mass exodus. And I think for the Giants, the one thing that they've had going for them that the Gold Coast never had, and we always talk about Gold Coast and the players... Uh, that they lost over the years, some, I mean, some serious prime movers in the midfield, high draft picks. They lost them because I just don't think there was any culture at the club. I don't think there was any um, promise of success moving forward. And the Giants have certainly had that. And you've been able to have this group come up together. They made the grand final last year. We don't really know what went wrong with them this year. I mean, it's been hard to track all year. We've discussed it all year, Josh. But I don't know. I mean, if they lose a bunch of players... It tells you something might not be right. And again, I just, without being on the inside, I don't really know, but I just keep coming back to, to Leon Cameron. It, it's, it's just strange. They gave him the extension. They've missed the finals. We've wondered about their game style all year long. And if they lose a bunch of players, uh, I'm not sure it's the best. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the best advertisement for uh, his coaching job that he's done there. And I, that might be drawing a long bow, but it's, it's just all, all very strange. Yeah, it is. GWS, we talk about you know, the players that have left that team, and maybe this does end up helping to strengthen the squad, that you get less discontent from players mm. you know, wanting, wanting to have bigger roles on a team where it's hard to find those roles. Maybe that does help. Again, you never want to lose quality players. But you go through their, their list of you know, players, through their history on... Um, uh, AFL tables, and you look at the plays and go, oh, really? Like Josh Bruce only played 14 games there. Do you, who remembers even Josh Bruce playing yeah, for GWS? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dom Tyson played 13 games there. Not that he had a, a stellar career, but he had some moments there for Melbourne. Matthew Kennedy, Lockie Plowman, uh, Cam McCarthy back in the day, Jacob Townsend, Taylor Adams, Adam Trelaw, like all these guys that have gone on uh, to... Will Hoskin Elliott used to play there. Like there's a bunch of these, these guys who you know, started... Uh, with GWS and have moved on to other teams, of course. You know, Smith and Shield now with Essen and Tom Scully, all these guys that you, you sort of forget that they played there. Some of them barely played there. Like Tom Boyd played nine games for GWS before moving to the Bulldogs. Aiden Bonar played six games there. Um, there's another one that I had. Will Setterfield played two games for the Giants, and he's had some, some decent moments there for Carlton. But maybe yeah, clearing some of those guys out. Well, there was also, I heard rumors of Jai Caldwell maybe looking to move on. He's played 11 games and teams circling around him. So maybe maybe that could help if there is less, uh, say competition can be good, but maybe too much competition create its resentment and I'm not going to say backstabbing because I don't know that that's the case, but you could understand that with everyone who's as good as they are, as highly touted and highly recruited as they are, that they feel pissed that they're not getting the opportunities and maybe that leads to some destabilization effects. 
What do you think? I mean, because you spoke about Tintorino, obviously, he's a guy you like, but he's super young and he is contracted. So this is where sort of the point that you make about uh, the Giants and it, it's going to have to be a trade. Uh, this is a guy that's still with another two seasons under contract. Pretty blue chip prospect when you think that he's still in his early 20s. He's come through and clearly been a, a really key player for this team right through to a, a grand final game uh, last year. Yeah. The asking price would probably be pretty high. Yeah, he's only what he's only twenty three, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah. he's played seventy odd games. He was yeah, number two pick in the twenty sixteen draft, so really high level prospect. Uh, it would have to be you'd have to think a first rounder, but I, I think that um, yeah, so much of AFL trade period is players who are out of contract moving. I, I like the move for teams getting aggressive for players who are under contract and for. Mm teams willing to deal players who are not like, well, you've got contract now, you've got to be here for two more years because that enables teams, I believe, when you've got that certainty around players who they are under contract for two years, then I think you can get more back for them in deals rather than trading players who are at the end of their deal with that threat of, I'll just go into the preseason draft, you know, Jack Martin style, who happened with Gold Coast last year. happens happened with plenty of players over the, the stretch of things or you know, players going for lower prices because they are at the end of their contract. I think that teams, and I'd like to see more of that come into it where players and teams, you know, whether they're the, the receiving teams or the initiating teams, in trades are, are more okay with moving players who are under contract because uh, I think it does help to you know, to balance the league a little bit more and create a little bit more, um, I don't know what the right word is here, just just to get these guys who might be squeezed or, or unhappy and get better return for them in that sort of a scenario. So I do think that you know, having that, like if you look at Taranto, he's under contract for two more years. I'd, I'm more, way more happy to, to trade for him in, in that situation rather than, then negotiate a new one and maybe he wants a pay rise. And I know that AFL contracts can be weird like that, that when you trade for a guy, then you renegotiate anyway. But I just think it's something that I'd like to see more of develop in the AFL trading system. And good for the Saints, by the way. Uh, again, one of the, the real winners from last year's uh, player movement period. We know, uh, obviously, they went a little bit older when you think of Dan Hanabry and, and Paddy Ryder. Uh, as well, but they have had success with some of the younger guys they've been able to bring into the team. And again, one of the guys, one of the GWS guys in Jack Steele obviously had a fantastic uh, season there. Should we move on to the final, the big game? I, I, don't, I don't know if I can wait any longer before we start talking about it. Yeah, I know, you, I know you're excited because tonight it is Port Adelaide. It is Geelong. We've got the teams in. You called it. Jack Stephen is out. Reece Stanley is in, along with Atkins, while Radigalia and, and I said Jack Stephen are out for power, uh, for the power, for Port Adelaide. Um, Butters, Cleary, and Burton are in. Woodcock, Linett, and Bonner are out. Butters, of course, the biggest name there in that group. Um, what are you making of, of those changes from a Geelong perspective, first of all? Yeah, pretty obvious. Uh, I thought that that was going to be the expected moves that they would make there. I think, you know, Stanley for Radicalia is a no-brainer. And then I think uh, Stephen for Atkins again uh, with the Cats basically full strength. They had a full list to pick from. Joel Sell would come back into the team. I think that really negates uh, the impact someone like Jack Stephen is going to have. You can really only play him in the midfield as we spoke about the other day. So I think uh, a really smart move to bring in someone that's at all times, I mean, you're talking about Atkins, a guy that yeah, really probably is only going to get five or six touches of the footy, but you hope that he's going to get seven, eight, nine tackles and uh, and put the power under significant pressure. So uh, I thought that th these were the obvious changes, and the Cats are in a, a pretty luxurious position to be able to have uh, basically the full squad to pick from. 
Yeah, and uh, Kane, you might uh, you might suggest that having the week off might have uh, might have helped in in that situation. Yeah, I don't know. I think they would have played anyway, and uh, you know, uh, look at the look at the power. The, the Burton back in a really key player for them. Butters Clurry, who Clurry, by the way, uh, he he'll get the job on on Hawkins. I think straight up, he he got torn apart in the first game. But I think if anything, you probably hurt him mentally more if you if you now try and hide him away from Hawkins. I know Tom Jonas is down there, but I think Clurry will get the first crack. I believe they'll do that as well, but they they obviously have have our other try again other options that they can throw in. There. As you said, Jonas, another guy that they can uh, potentially try there. But I think they'll go with Cleary uh, again as uh, as that first option to try and uh, limit the impact of Tom Hawkins, who was really really good for Geelong the first time these two teams met. Um, we know Geelong's style of footy is about slowing the ball down and really sort of you know, dictating the pace of the game. Port Adelaide has been hectic for plenty of you know, games this season, really pushing it, you know, running the corridor, streaming forward. Um, Geelong got the better in their matchup this earlier this season. That sort of conflicting style between these two, how, how do you how do you see that playing out again? Is it going? Is there a chance that it's a repeat of what happened in in the first meeting? Was there things to discount from that first meeting that we, when we look at this finals matchup, that we should say, well, maybe that's not how it's going to work because of uh, this and this. How do you see that first game and the style difference influencing this contest? Yeah, I don't think that you should discount that game. I mean, I've been pretty strong all year saying that I think <laughs> to, a, to an extent... You need to go back and look at the circumstances of what the game was played under. In that instance, the Cats were on a, a four-day break. They were playing on a Friday night after beating St. Kilda on the Monday. Uh, Port Adelaide did play on a Saturday. So Port did have two extra days coming in, but they came off a huge win against Richmond. So maybe there was a bit of a letdown there. They had to travel back up to Queensland after playing in front of their fans. So maybe that's uh, something to look into there. But really, I watched the game again this week and went back um, to, to really look through particularly what happened with Charlie Dixon in this game. We know he only had three disposals, but I think the biggest thing that stood out for me is the center clearances. And to start this game, uh, the catch just completely dominated the football, dominated disposals. They were able to play that style that you're talking about, and it happened from the center bounce. So the Cats can become vulnerable if they lose the center, ba- the center clearances. Now, they haven't done that often this year. They won the center clearance count 12 out of the 17 games that they played. Uh, but Port Adelaide... Uh, one at 11 out of their 17. So this is that just tells you how important this is going to be. And the problem with the Cats uh, holding the possession of the football early in the game, particularly in the first quarter, Port Adelaide, I thought, panicked a little bit. And what they did was they sent Charlie Dixon right up to the back half of the ground, and he was basically their marking target out of the defensive 50. Now, the Cats are going to be very, very, very happy if that's the case in, in this game, if Dixon's uh, lingering around. Uh, the the defensive half. He's had 164 disposals this year. 134 of those came in the forward half. So anytime you can get Charlie Dixon out of the the dangerous area, I think it's a win. And I, uh, that's how the Cats were able to do it by winning center clearances and then locking the the, the footy in their forward half. Uh, and Port Adelaide, we're, we're trying to counter that by sending Dixon into positions he's just not familiar with being in. And I think that that was the huge win for the Cats. And that's why they got on top. That's the thing that Geelong does is when they get the ball in their hands is they just slow things down so much and then your structure or your plan starts to go out the window. Like, oh, we can't do anything. We can't get the ball. We're not forcing turnovers. And in that game, Geelong outpossessed, I think, 80 extra possessions in yeah, that crazy. game, which is a ridiculous amount. They had over double the amount of marks, 108 to 53. So they were just toying with them. They just had the ball and they just took their time and they just didn't give Port Adelaide the ball. 
And therefore, they were able to you know, kick an extra 10 goals. Now, Port Adelaide weren't particularly accurate. They kicked 4-7, along with 14-7. So that's, that's a difference. But just really frustrating them and making them having to change their game style and change the positioning of guys like Dixon, it threw them off. So I think they'll learn lessons from that. They'll be like, we don't want Dixon getting sucked back there. We need to get our hands on the footy because that is obviously the thing that killed us in this game. We, we just we can't let them do that. And of course, it's easier for me to say that versus going in against Danger, Dangerfield and Selwood or you know, throw Duncan or Guthrie or Menangola's in there. Parford will have some time in the middle being a hard nut in there as well. It's easier said than done than say, well, we're just going to get the ball more than them because those guys will extract that ball a lot. Um and it's the centers where it is because the clearances overall were almost the same. It was thirty-one to thirty mm. around the ground, but center clearances is the big difference. So they're going to have yeah. to make sure that they don't fall into that trap because Geelong makes you fall into that trap. They have the ball, you get frustrated. You go, "She'll give us the ball." Like we need to change something up. Yeah, and if you just that happens time and time again, then your plan goes out the window. No, absolutely. And, and again, you're looking at two pretty high quality midfields, two really strong contested. Uh, footy midfield, so I think for Port, you'll be looking at Travis Boak, Ollie Wines, and Tom Rockliffe. For the Cats, you have probably Dangerfield, Salwood, and Cam Guthrie. So uh, all guys that can win the clearances. Obviously, Ray Stanley, I spoke about yesterday, picked up four clearances in that, in that game himself as well. So that's where it's going to start. Port Adelaide will be at home. I think there's going to be 20, I don't know, high 20s, 30,000 fans there. So the key for Geelong, they've had horrific first quarters in finals over the last four or five years. So... They were able to gain ascendancy at Metricon Stadium when there was no one there, and it was the middle of the home and away season, and, and there wasn't the same intensity that there's going to be tonight. So that's why uh, the, the first quarter is going to be critical in this one. The Cats can easily get blown away if they aren't able to get those center clearances and therefore aren't able to get numbers back and help Charlie Dixon. If he gets rolling early, then Port Adelaide can, could quite possibly run away with this game. I think that's why, for all the talk about Paddy Dangerfield playing up forward the last few weeks, I think that's why he's he's going to be in the midfield in this game because the Cats are going to understand how important it is uh, to get off to a quick start and to, to win the ball out of the middle for them to be able to set up the way they do and, and stay in this game because they're going to have to weather a storm. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm super excited to see how this one works out. We know Geelong has had a history of having some finals issues of late. Uh, of also having some issues coming off a bye. So uh, can they can they beat that one, Kane? Can they get past the 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 concern there of that rust and the yeah, finals pressure? We saw an article on uh, ABC Grandstand today about Paddy Dangerfield's going to move into second place all-time for most games played without a grand final. That sort of hangs over <laughs> his head. In uh, Of course, number one is, uh, is Brad Johnson, so I'm not just hanging shit on you because you're a Geelong supporter. Um so yeah, that, that's something that hangs over his head and a guy that's been fantastic throughout his whole career and then yeah, has had some struggles at times in the final. So there's that added pressure there. Port Adelaide's been the number one team literally from round one this year. So yeah, they're going to have pressure to win this game. It is so much on the line, even though they've both got a, a second a second chance. You don't want to uh, you don't want to lose this one and then yeah, momentum can start to work against you. Yeah, I mean, if you lose this game, you might find yourself, uh, if Richmond beats Brisbane, and obviously we'll speak about that game um, on tomorrow's show, but if Richmond beat Brisbane, then if you, the loser of this game is going to have to go through Richmond to get to the grand final. So, um, you know, if you think, if you're someone that believes that Richmond is the best team in the in the competition right now and the premiership favourite, then, yeah, you probably want to avoid them uh, until you get to the grand final. What about wildcards? 
I know we ha- have been running through the final teams. We've gone through eight uh, through to three so far, which leaves us with Port Adelaide and Brisbane. And I, I guess while we're talking about this game, we may as well roll through and, and stick with the power. Yeah, Port Adelaide. On yesterday, I was talking about Richmond. I was like, Who, "Who's my wild card here?" It's hard mm. to find for Port Adelaide. I, I had a few that I could have, could have thrown in there. Um, we've been a fan of uh, the work Peter Adams has done this season. Maybe he's a guy that can step up. He's had some some big moments, but in the end, the player that I went for is Connor Rosie, who has seen his season be significantly worse than what it was last year. Kicked twenty nine goals in twenty two games last season. He's kicked. Six goals this year in his 14 games. Nowhere near the same level of impact. Disposal's down, but that's probably accounted for in the the change in the um, the quarter length. But that forward output is significantly lower. He's halved his goal assists as well, down from 10 to 5. His inside 60s are significantly lower. Yes, he has played you know, fewer games, but you know, six goals, nine versus 29-22 is a big step back from where he was. But... Connor Rosie is obviously a really, really good young player. And if he is able to come in and have the sort of impact that we've seen him have plenty of times in the past, he's only kicked one goal in his last five games. Could he pop up with a two or a three or really create that sort of impact there by setting up others? Uh, and even the way he started the season, in his first two games, he had two goals and three goal assists. And then it really wasn't able to get going uh, to that level anywhere else during the season. So to me, it's Rosie. If he can get back to not only last year's form, but even beginning of this season, where he was so much better than he was uh, towards the end of the year, that's a, that's a big thing for Port Adelaide. So I was looking at the half-forward line. And the reason for that is, because we spoke about this through the season, if Charlie Dixon doesn't kick a bag, who else... Uh, is going to be there to kick the goal. So it's pretty clear. When you look at the record, when you look at Charlie Dixon this season, Power lost three games all season long. In those three games, Charlie Dixon only kicked one goal combined. So that tells you that when Charlie Dixon isn't firing, Port Adelaide can struggle. So I looked at the half-forward line and who's going to help him out? Who could bring a bit of an X-factor, be a bit of a spark? And it's an old friend. It's an old friend of the cat, Stephen Motlop. Now, last final he played, Uh, You have to go all the way back to the 2017 prelim final. He was playing for the Cats at Adelaide Oval. He had 26 disposals and kicked a goal in that one. The Cats went down pretty comfortably in that game. But Motlop's back in the finals. He is a player that you, you, you think of. You think of that he might be able to provide a spark and win a game off his own boot. He's been relatively quiet this season. His disposals have been well down. But in the final round against Collingwood, he kicked a couple of goals. Now, he only had six touches. But I reckon if you're Port Adelaide and if you're Ken Hinckley, if you can get six touches and a couple of goals out of Stephen Motlop tonight, you're going to be very, very happy with that impact. So I think Motlop, multiple goals can be that X factor because, again, they're going to have to use other players outside of Charlie Dixon. Maybe Charlie Dixon isn't going to be able to clunk everything in a contested mark situation. So when the ball goes to the ground, they're going to have to take their opportunities. And Motlop, someone that's, uh, like I said, he's had a bit of a down season. Can he come into this team and be the guy that can turn a final? Yeah, I think that's it's fair to say he's had a down season. He was another one of those names that I did look at in this squad who, who might be able to be that that player, but I uh, went with Rosie instead. But I think that's right. He's getting that extra avenue to goal or getting a couple of sneaky ones that you don't expect is going to be really key here for Port Adelaide. But what about uh, Brisbane, the other team that we haven't talked about in terms of their wild cards? And they play, uh, we'll be talking about them more tomorrow, they play Friday night. Who is your uh, Brisbane Lion wildcard player for the finals? Oh, I'm going with the old boy. I'm going with the veteran, Grant Birchall. I didn't think that he was going to be playing finals again either. He hardly played from 2017. So 2017, he played five games. He didn't play at all in 2018. He only played three games 
in 2019, and then he's bounced back this year to play 14 out of the 17 games. Uh, the thing I love about Birchall is he just settles them down. And I reckon against Richmond, they're going to be under fire. We know the way that uh, Richmond used the ball and they get it inside 50 quickly and they're going to need some cool heads. Last year, the Lions obviously went out in straight sets. Uh, there was the, the really close final against uh, GWS, but uh, the, a similar situation against the Tigers where the Tigers were just clean and they were able to get uh, scoring opportunities inside 50. So I think Birchall will be able to settle them down. He is an intercept marker. And the thing that I love about him, 82 dis- 82% disposal efficiency this season it's really been a remarkable comeback uh, i think he's pretty keen to play on next year as well so grant birchall the veteran i think he's just going to settle them down yeah you were big big outs on uh birchall at the start of the year said you don't even think he's going to play a game i think I, I, or something along those lines but he has obviously been more uh, way more impressive than that and he's got his body right and he's been a key part of what they've done down there and using the ball as well as he does is, is huge I had a couple of options here. I was going to go with uh, maybe an Eric Hipwood, but I think he's been he's been okay this year. Look, pretty much mm. on par with what he's done the last couple of years. Disposals the same, goals the same, marks per game the same, like really similar. So I'm going to go with Lincoln McCarthy, one of your old mates down from Geelong, oh. who barely played for the Cats. Let's be honest, we just didn't really see him, and he's been massive for Brisbane over the last four games. He didn't play in I think one of the one of the last five. So in the last four that he's played, he's kicked six goals. And that's a pretty good return for someone like Lincoln McCarthy. He's He kicked 20 last year. He's kicked 15 this year on a team that has struggled to convert. He's over 50%. And that's not saying that you're a great shot for goal, but it's saying you're a bloody lot better than most of these Brisbane players have been this season. So he's got at least some accuracy on his, on his side. He's a guy that can take a grab. I can take a hanger and just a guy that has been really in good form leading up to this with, uh, with goals, with those six goals over the last four weeks. You get another two from him here. Yeah, that's that's something just to add to the McStay, to to Cameron, to Hipwood. Another forward option there. And Cameron's had his ups and downs as well this season, but just another another forward option who's been consistent over the last month of footy, and a guy that can step up, take a big grab, kick a couple of goals, and be an accurate shot for goal. I think that that's something that Brisbane, we know they've been you know, drastically calling out for that, and he's delivered over the last month. Let's see if it can continue into the finals. Yeah, it's going to be a good game. I'm just really interested to see how uh, Brisbane uh, attack these finals. Like we we said, they had the experience last year. Chris Fagan, I, I tweeted this out the other night, but he's probably my favorite coach to listen to. I yeah. think he's just such a he's just, he's just he's just such a calming influence on this group. You can see why everyone that's uh, had anything to do with him, the players. You know, when you hear uh, Jared Ruffhead and, and Jordan Lewis speak about him when they're on Fox Footy, uh, they love him. They love him, and uh, I don't think. I think the thing that Brisbane need and, and what they're going to get from Chris Fagan is, listen, we, we understand what happened last year, but we had our experience, and uh, that's, let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy the moment. We're at home. We're going to be in front of fans, and basically we've earned the right to have a, another couple of home finals and potentially an opportunity to play at the Gabba in the grand final. They're, they're not going to get that chance again. So uh, there will be some pressure, but uh, I think Fags is going to have them ready to go. Yep, super excited to see the footy tonight, see the footy tomorrow, but also super excited, Kane, to talk to you about Geelong's <laughs> win slash loss, whatever it is. Super excited to talk to you about the uh, the footy because we've had 10 days with nothing going on and now we've got the big ones. They are ready to go and uh, I welcome your return to the show tomorrow, assuming you are not uh, lamenting the fact that Geelong lost another game coming off the bye. 
Uh, listen, it's going to be potentially a rough morning for me. I'll have the Cats coming off a final. I'm an Oakland A's fan in the baseball. They've got an elimination uh, game tomorrow morning before we record as well. So it could be it could be very grim uh, tomorrow on the podcast, but we'll see. Looking forward to that, guys. Subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Give us a five-star review over on Apple. And today I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Michael Gale.